Thought Leadership Studio. You're listening to Thought Leadership Studio, the podcast that helps you master high-level positive mass influence to create distinctive business niches, captivate an audience, grow your following, and change the game by changing the frame with strategic thought leadership. Thought Leadership Studio. Welcome back to Thought Leadership Studio. This is episode 68, Elevating Leadership Communication with Dr. Alexa Chilcutt. I'm your host, Chris McNeil, Strategic Thought Leadership Coach and Consultant, and this episode is about crafting executive presence and influence. Insights from Dr. Alexa Chilcutt on mastering the dynamics of leadership communication. What this episode will do for you is learn from Dr. Chilcutt about the core aspects of executive presence and why it's crucial for leadership success. Uncover strategies to enhance your communication skills and how they impact leadership and team dynamics. Gain insight into overcoming the challenges of connecting and leading in virtual environments. Explore how to align your personal branding with your leadership goals through strategic communication. Receive practical advice on improving public speaking skills, whether in person or digitally. And Dr. Chilcutt shares methods to manage and overcome anxiety related to public speaking and presentations, as well as shares essential resources for further developing your executive presence and leadership communication skills. But before we dive more deeply into this episode, in case you're new here, consider that I created the Thought Leadership Studio podcast to help listeners improve their thought leadership skills. So whether or not you consider yourself a thought leader at this point, consider that I've come to the conclusion that the practice of strategic thought leadership is now fundamental to effective marketing and helpful in any area of positive influence. It's about leading an audience to embrace a unique perspective that gives them more value. So this podcast is designed to provide an accelerated training process. And an important part of this is having models of excellence for which I provide interviews of people who excel in one or more areas relevant to strategic thought leadership. And if you're listening, on an app, make sure you visit the episode page on thoughtleadershipstudio.com. It's linked in the episode description for a summary of the episode with a curated transcript, a story and images, and additional resources and offers. In this episode of Thought Leadership Studio, I'm joined by Dr. Alexa Chilcutt, a distinguished expert renowned for her work in leadership and team communication professional public speaking, and executive presence. With a rich background that combines academic insight and real-world experience, Dr. Chilcutt delves into the pivotal role of communication in professional settings. She underscores the critical balance between technical acumen and the art of effective communication in leadership. Throughout our conversation, Dr. Chilcutt unveils practical strategies for enhancing 
executive presence, navigating the nuances of virtual communication, and mastering public speaking. So whether you're looking to elevate your leadership skills or seeking ways to engage more effectively with your team or audience, this episode is packed with valuable insights and actionable advice. So without further ado, let's jump right into the interview. Thought Leadership Studio. So I'm your host, Chris McNeil with Thought Leadership Studio, and I'm sitting here across Zoom with Dr. Alexa Chilcutt, who is an expert in leadership and team communication, professional public speaking skills, and in particular, executive presence, as we we're just discussing. Um, and we'll learn all about the things you do and um, what you can teach our listeners throughout this. Welcome, Alexa. I'm glad to be here, Chris. I think it'll be a fun conversation. It's one of my most favorite topics. So awesome. It'll be good. Well, to give our listener a bit of a frame with which to know where you're coming from, do you have a story or a life experience that set you on the path of doing this kind of executive coaching in general? Uh, when life shifted and that was the right thing to do? Yeah, you know. How'd it come to you? Um. I'll tell you what, I have always been a very practical, applied person. My background, my corporate, if you will, background was actually working in advertising and public relations. Mm -hmm. And so I worked as a development director. Um, if anyone knows what development directors do, they do everything, right? So it's mm -hmm. from marketing, public relations, raising money, all of that. And so I worked as a development director for a nonprofit for many years, in my younger life. And so I think that's why I also now just love the topic of impression management and executive presence, because that is, that is what you're doing is PR basically. But I returned to school, got a PhD in communication information sciences, was a professor at the university of Alabama for 11 years, have now worked for Johns Hopkins Carey business school for the past five. And I teach executive education. Um, I develop and deliver training courses on a variety of communication topics. And I think the reason that I'm in this career now, and I do a lot of kind of executive coaching on the side, as well as different corporate training programs, is just because I love working with professionals. And they are those individuals who really are hungry for information about how to elevate where they are, right? And taking that time out to go, okay, where am I currently and where do I want to be? And what are the skills that are going to get me there? So I, I just, I'm very energized by working with professionals. I'll bet. So what are some of these skills that will help get an executive from A to B? Honestly, communication skills are some of the biggest skill sets. There are no, there are no perfect speakers. There are no perfect communicators. We're all constantly learning, constantly adjusting our communication style to our audience, um, but learning how to communicate in a clear, concise, confident manner to a variety of audiences 
and pivot how you communicate based on that audience, their need, why they need that information is that is the number one skill for any professional. Let's take the example of you can have a brilliant technical professional. Maybe they're a brilliant engineer or a scientist or in finance, who knows. But that technical expertise does not equate to leadership success. It just doesn't. How they communicate what they do and why it matters is the defining skill. Agree a hundred percent. And um, I like how you bring out that feedback loop with the audience because it's all about mm -hmm. adjusting your yeah. communication to the audience. And we talked before we started recording about executive presence, which to me, um, and I don't consider myself an expert on executive presence. I'm learning, I'm a learner. Uh, okay. But to me, it's about being able to maintain a state of confidence and really being congruent with your values, which comes mm -hmm. across. What else yes. What else makes yes. for good executive presence? What am I missing? I need to film out my model with. Yeah. Um, okay. So when I teach executive presence, I think a lot of, a lot of people immediately, and I think in the past it was taught this way, it was really around charisma and gravitas and communication skills, appearance and you know, that kind of thing. As we have kind of shifted and grown and developed just as people working in professional spaces and we realize that it's not just those first impressions, it is our evaluations of someone, their values and action, their interpersonal integrity, their outcome delivery. It's those types of, of qualities that really enhance someone's executive presence. So they can make a fabulous first impression, but then they need to maintain those impressions over time to really be seen as a credible person with leadership skills that people want to trust and align themselves with. Makes sense. And especially yeah. with the transparency that today's media gives up experts in general, leaders in general, People mm -hmm. see through the transparent walls and this only over time that your yep. congruence, so to speak, is going to really come across and win people over. So when you're working with a client who comes to you and says, who wants you to look at improving their executive presence, what are the points where you would evaluate where they're at versus mm -hmm. where you'd like them to get to? Do you have kind of a mental checklist, so to speak, you work from or... Is it more holistic or how does that work for you? Yeah, I mean, I think part of it is holistic. Um, and it is really finding out, I think a great, okay, a great place to start is a question. If I were to pull the people that you work with horizontally up, you know, to management, et cetera, down direct reports, if I were to pull all of those people what are the adjectives that they would use to describe you? And then people have to have a real self-reflective moment. Mm -hmm. Are those the adjectives that they feel are most advantageous to where they want to be? Because I don't know if you are familiar with Carla Harris. Carla Harris wrote the books, um, strategize to win, expect to win and lead to win. And she is a, she was the senior vice president of Morgan Stanley for many, many years. She was a woman on Wall Street. Um, 
She's a, a black woman who is incredibly graduated from Harvard twice. I mean, just brilliant. But she is a very much a thought leader in this space. And she does this activity where she says, okay, now think of three adjectives that you would like people to use about you when you are not in the room. Because it's when you're not in the room that all the decisions about your advancement, promotion are going to be made. And so getting people to think about, okay, how am I currently being perceived? Whether I'm, in, I'm intending to be perceived that way or not, right? And then what are the perceptions that will really be advantageous for me to elevate, to kind of elevate that perception? Um, and that allows us to have kind of a starting place. A lot of people come and they want, honestly, a lot of people send me clients who have been identified as high potential in an organization. And that manager or supervisor wants me to coach them to work on their executive presence. And it, some of it really just begins with those kind of impressions of them. Um, how are they showing up in a space? How are they showing up online? Um, how are they communicating when they're when they're running a meeting or giving a project update? So you know it can be a lot of things, but but also showing and sharing with people all of the characteristics and there are ten designed by research that have kind of come out. Uh, ten characteristics of executive presence, and five of them are short term impressions, and five of them are those more substantive values over time impressions interesting well what do you think would be the most important one out of the short-term ones to focus on if you had to choose one if i had to choose one well i'm going to reframe that okay. if i can okay sure. the easiest the easiest ones are working on people's nonverbal communication okay how are they coming into a space? How are they showing up online? You can make little tweaks to that that make have really big impact. How are they walking in a room? Um, how are they taking up space in a meeting? You know, all of those small things. Appearance. I mean, appearance is not prescriptive. Like, you need to wear this, but are you looking the part, right? Are you looking like you're together? Are you engaged? So a lot of it is nonverbal. That's that's a short-term kind of fix. Um, the next thing is communication skills. And I think the communication skills part is something that coaching on presentation skills, leading meetings, communicating, you know, what you're doing and why it's important. Those are skills that you can help somebody build. I'll bet. And um, so those kind of communication skills, Mm -hmm. what are some models that you use? Can you give, uh, maybe bring it a little more to ground for our listeners with a tangible example or two? Okay. So thinking about just presentation skills, let's say that you have to give a project update regularly in meetings. How are you even crafting that project update? There are some simple rules of public speaking that can be followed. Do you you know, are you opening with why it matters to the audience immediately instead of, hey, everybody, so glad to be here. Da, 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 da. People have a really short attention span. And so opening up, leading with meaning is one of the tactics. 
So are you opening that up? Are you organizing your message in three simple? So what I'm going to tell you today is where we left off last time, the progress we've met and where we want to be in the next two months. Three main points. Mm -hmm. Practicing that, ending that with a strong call to action. So what I'm asking for today is acceptance on this recommendation to do this. Um, what I hope you're walking with today is understanding that what we've accomplished is important because we're asking for X number of dollars. So giving people really um, clear guidelines and processes to follow to craft effective messages. That's just one example. Sure. Sure. Makes perfect sense. Uh, tell them what you're going to tell them, tell them and tell them what you told them for one thing and yeah. touching on value something that's important to them. That, that'd be another thing. So we have this interesting dynamic these days where a lot of our communication is given to, like I'm sitting here, I'm looking at you across the screen, but I'm also looking at a uh, camera and microphone surrounded by microphones here. I keep them off screen, but if I backed it up, you'd see lots of microphones. Okay. Uh, but I don't know that if I'm making a video to go somewhere else, uh, I don't see the person on the other side while I'm doing it, unless I visualize that person. Mm. And we mentioned about the feedback and adjusting your message to the audience. What about when we can't really see our audience and see that feedback? Because we're crafting something to convey through media that they're going to see later. Okay. There are also some simple rules at this point about message reception. Once again, I said people's attention spans are incredibly short. You can lose somebody's attention in less than eight seconds. Really, we know that three minute to six minute, pushing it seven minute kind of short clip videos are the way to go because people are now so attuned to those short reels on everything. So nothing in long form anymore. Also, you said, tell them what you're going to tell them, tell them, tell them what you told them. Everybody knows that axiom, but does anybody ever practice those things. So once again, even, even if you're not adjusting for the audience, but you have an, attended, an intended audience. So I am crafting this video and my intended audience is a group of professionals, right? Who are interested in these topics. Then everything is going to be reverse engineered to meet that need for those people. The time, how I structure the message, how I talk about the examples for that, that audience. So it follows the same principles as face-to-face, -face, but you're right. It's a completely different thing because when you're doing that to a blank screen, I can't see how you're responding to my message. So well, that's something that's come up in a few conversations lately. Yeah. I was discussing it um, with a collaborator named Vito this morning. Hmm. And we talked about how back in the day, we're both of the age, we remember where the telephone was your main channel to prospecting for business. Hmm. And there were studies at the time that showed that the people who are best at telephone sales were, or telephone persuasion in general, had a mental image of the person they're talking to. Even if you'd never met them, you would visualize them as if they were there. And wondering how much that applies these days, especially with the dynamics of big data, which sometimes reduces our audience to data points. Oh, we want to reach millions of people, so we'll target them. But then you, you may not really see the individual persons. People still listen and watch one at a time and have as much empathy maybe for the audience and enables relating to them. What are your thoughts on that? Well, while you might not be able to 
visualize the specific audience member. I think the focus should be on delivery. So thinking about your nonverbal skills in delivering, your tone of voice, your vocal variety, right? You want to make it as engaging and conversational as humanly possible to make it easier for the listener to listen to and to receive. And when you are doing that, I mean, I've done this too, right, Chris? I mean, I've, I've had to go in studio and read off a teleprompter, some lesson that's going to be put in, you know, a module for, for executive education. And while I kind of visualize the, okay, who is my audience in general? I'm really trying to think more of like, how, how is it going to sound to them? How do they want to hear this message? So it's, I'm being dynamic. I've got good facial display, smile, a bright voice. I'm thinking about the pace and the tone and the volume and, and the vocal variety. So all of that is going to create a sense of engagement and dynamism when, once again, you're kind of doing it to a flat screen. Yeah. And you, you mentioned the people. So obviously you're thinking about them and considering. I am thinking about them. Yeah. But, your but I'm, <laughs> yeah, I'm thinking more about like, how do they want to hear this and how can I make it engaging? Because nobody wants to listen to something, blah, 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 blah. Right. Um, so making it more conversational is, is a key. I don't know. What, so do what, are some, what are some other points to making it more engaging? I can imagine our listeners right now going, well, okay. I'm having to go do this podcast interview or I'm having to do this quick video snippet for this audience. I need something to post on Twitter. How can, what can I learn from Alexa that can make me more engaging when I do this tomorrow? Okay. Well, it's always good to think about what you're going to say ahead of time, obviously, right? Know it in your head, write it in the script, write it. If you're going to write it as if you're speaking it, then of course, speak it before, right? Because verbal language is very different than written language. Mm -hmm. But put yourself in the other person's shoes. I think that's the biggest thing. How do they want to hear it? So it is difficult to be engaging, but your enthusiasm is infectious. Mm -hmm. So if you deliver the message with like, why is it important to you? Why is it interesting to you? Why are you excited about delivering that message? Kind of get in that space so that that engagement, right, translates through your delivery. Um, also, here's just a strategic tip. If you're recording something on Zoom and you want that energy to kind of transfer, then stand up to deliver it. Don't sit down. Because sitting down, the energy kind of goes down. I mean, right now I'm standing. Mm -hmm. Half of that was because I was just on a Zoom call and I'm tired. <laughs> <laughs> right? Sure, it's sure. better for me to kind of get that energy up. So, you know, moving, moving your laptop up, standing, you're able to kind of move a little bit, breathe better. Um, and that energy kind of comes across as well. Ah, that's a great point. I have to borrow my wife's elevating desk that has this handle where you can crank it to any height. Yeah, yeah. And mine, I'm bound to this chair now. I feel like, wow, I should be standing, but it'd be ridiculous because then the camera would be catching my belly, so we won't do that. Yeah, I mean, um, you have to work with what you got. Got to work with what you got. Uh, and so relating to the audience, mm -hmm. obviously you work with people like you described in the beginning, people that have 
intricate technical subjects that you have deep expertise in. But then you have an audience that would be looking at them through the filtered lens of their more limited understanding mm -hmm. about what mm -hmm. they do. So we've mm -hmm. got to translate the message and you've worked with people like this. How do you get them to chunk their message down so that their audience can assimilate it while they feel like they're still conveying what's important for them to convey? Yeah. So I call this reverse engineering the message. So there are some questions that I, I, I have a whole formula for presentations and I ask them to go old school. Now, people with a technical background, they're generally very linear thinkers and they want to show because of their schooling a lot of times they want to show everyone every piece of the process or every data point because they feel like that's so vital right mm -hmm. <laughs> it's like it might not be it might not be to that audience sure so i have them start by answering these questions right what is the purpose of this presentation is it to inform is it to persuade what is the outcome delivery on this so at the end of my 20 minutes, at the end of my 10 minutes, at the end of whatever, I want this audience to walk away remembering or to be able to do, right? If you know that in advance, okay, this is a general audience. I just want them to know these things. Then now I can look back at all of my material through a different lens. Like what, what's really important to get them there? Also some audience analysis questions. So who is this audience? What is their knowledge on this topic? What is their interest in their topic? Do they have any opposing ideas about the topic? How can I create common ground for them? What's the most interesting thing about this for this audience? So once they've answered all the questions, then they can look back at the information and for lack of a better, better term, cherry pick mm -hmm. what's really going to get them there in the easiest, most streamlined process. Then once again, back to the basic rules of public speaking. You have three main points, not five, not 10, three. And you tell people this is, you know, it, there's a great introduction that you have and how you kind of logically flow people through the information. And it's also just kind of deep, uh, debunking the myth for them that they have to include everything in there to be relevant or to be credible. Uh -huh. They're giving that information because they are that person. The audience, depending on the audience, is probably going to give them that credibility, right, assumption. And so, and then they can have all that information that if somebody asks a question, they can go delve deeper into. But it's just helping them to think about the end goal, and then look back at that information and really streamline it. And three main points, not 3,000, not 30,000. Not five. Three. Not even five. Not even five. I imagine you have to negotiate with your clients to get them to bring things down to the level. To you do. What yeah. people can really but assimilate, you know? It's, it's a, I, I mean, this is always, right? Because people are like, oh, but I've got all this stuff. And I'm like, eh. Somehow we can get it to three main points. First, I'm going to tell you what the problem was, all the causes of that problem, and my proposed solutions. I mean, whatever. But you can break down, and I have had 
people or groups push back at me about, but we have an hour and a half. We've got a day. You can still have three main points. You can still have three main portions, but there is a map. Three is a magic number. People, it's a memory device. It's called a triptych. And so that memory device sticks in people's heads. And so what's one of the greatest challenges you have to conveying a message to an audience? It's memory that they're going to walk away not remembering what you said and why it was important to them. So at the beginning, if you say, this is why it's important to you, and this is what I'm going to share, and I'm going to do that in three main points. First, I'm going to tell you this, second, and third. And then as you're going through that logical progression of the information, they see that progression. Then at the end, you remind them what you covered. They're going to walk away remembering a lot more than if you had just kind of gone through the information. Do you think video or um, I should say um, visual models are important for explaining concepts for retention? Absolutely. Absolutely. Because words stick in the short-term memory and visuals stick in the long-term memory. So any type of visual and the visual does not need to be textual. Mm -hmm. Right? Right. Because nobody wants to read the thing that you're saying. Agreed. But if the visual can enhance your message, and the visual can be anything, the visual can be your body language. I said three main points and I did this. Mm -hmm. Visual can be a slide, but it needs to be more of an image or a graphic that shows a process in a simple way. If it's got to be a graph or a chart, not every single data point, the most important one. Mm -hmm. um, if it's a statistic you want to stick out in everybody's head, to have that on there. So it should reinforce your message, not be your message. And I like earlier you mentioned the concept of emotional transfer about sharing your enthusiasm about a topic. Because, mm -hmm. I mean, we don't have long enough with an audience generally to really explain everything about a topic anyways, but we can maybe raise their curiosity and they can buy our book on the way out or <laughs> click on a link to get sure. our PDF download. And how much of this is about triggering people for follow-up and, and get them to dive deeper into a subject that way. That's right. Yeah. I mean, any, any good public speaker is someone who grabs your audience's attention and creates that interest, right? Interest enough to just hang with you for five or 10 minutes or 20, but also interest in the topic where if you're not covering everything, they're, they're willing to come back. You've made them receptive to that. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, that's the goal. Have you run across clients who are just audience shy or camera shy? And how do you get them past that? And do you find those things always go together or can you have one or the other? Uh, you can have one or the other. I think some people would much rather present on Zoom or teams or whatever than face-to-face -face in person. Because when you are face-to-face, -face, you are in the lion's den, right? You are absolutely opened up to everybody else's energy in the room, their nonverbal feedback. You're seeing it. You can't kind of get away from it. If you're on Zoom, you can hide everybody. You can not see them. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> and so you can get away from that. But, but speaking anxiety is common. The National Institute of Mental Health shows that 74% of all Americans have some form, some level of public speaking anxiety. And it's a socio-evaluative activity. 
So we know that anytime that you're getting up to lead a portion of the meeting, you're giving a project update, you're speaking at a podium, whatever that leading a class, you're being judged. That's just the truth of it, right? Your people are judging. They're making assumptions, evaluations of you. Are you credible? Are you prepared? Are you knowledgeable? Are you engaging? All of that. And so how do you get people out of that? You tell them that one of the biggest things about anxiety is the unknown. So if you're, we're afraid of what we don't know and what we can't control, but what you can control is how you craft the message so that the audience can be most receptive, how you practice that message, and then how you're really strategic about delivering that message. But here's a, here's a good little tidbit. Did you ever read the book, Talk Like Ted by Carmen Gallo? I have not. Okay. You've seen TED Talks, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I think it was back in 2000, maybe it was 14, he wrote this book. He took the top 50 TED speakers, so the speakers who had the most watched videos, and he asked them a series of questions trying to figure out kind of what was the golden recipe of putting together a good TED Talk. But one of the questions that he asked them was, how many times did you practice for this TED Talk? Hmm. On average, on average, individuals practiced 200 times. Really? 200 times. That was, it's, it's in his book. That's it. And of course, are you going to practice 200 times to give your project update? No, but they were in a very high stakes scenario. They were on a stage. They were, you know, seen as thought leaders. It was going to be recorded for forever and of course, they had a lot of pressure and they wanted to be seen as that credible expert on the stage. And so they practiced an inordinate amount of time. But what it also did was the reason that people liked those TED Talks was that the speakers had practiced it so much that it had just become part of them. And it was very conversational in the delivery. That's something that we can kind of embrace is the idea is there are no naturally great speakers. It takes practice. It takes being conversational about it. it takes just knowing your information and feeling good about, hey, I'm I'm the one up here giving this information for a reason. I'm the one who knows it. And but the more that you do practice, the more that you give yourself kind of low risk um, practice around public speaking or delivery, you're going to overcome some of that. The more that you know you're prepared, you've done the things, you can reduce some of that anxiety. But the other thing is to realize that you don't want to get rid of all of the anxiety. You don't want to eliminate it because then it comes across as really flat. So what I tell people, and this is a little hokey, but that's okay, is that we don't want to eliminate the butterflies. We actually just want to teach them how to fly in formation. Mm -hmm. So if we harness a little bit of that nervous energy, but that we know that we're prepared, it can come across as we transfer that to I'm, I'm excited about this. I want to share instead of I'm on the stage. That reminds me of a couple aspects of sports psychology. You know, hmm. level athletes certainly ask them how many times you practice the repetition of a movement that's crucial to performance in your sport. It's going to be in the hundreds or thousands. Yeah. And, and they know that every athlete has a mental image of their performance beforehand. It's usually a problem that they can see themselves hitting the bar. 
you know, until mm -hmm, mm -hmm, they mm -hmm. repeatedly rehearse high level performance at that. And the other thing is there's, there's that zone of not being too relaxed. I mean, imagine going out for Super Bowls, I know, you know, no, you gotta be revved up, but you have to channel yeah. that too. And there's a sweet spot. You don't be over journalized because then you'll run out in the middle, but you want to hit mm -hmm. that, that perfect sweet spot of just the right adrenalized energy, but positively directed. So that just remind me of those aspects of sports psychology is really all about preparation, isn't it? it? It's totally about preparation. And you brought up a great point, right? The visualization. So if you can see yourself in that space, if you can, if you know ahead of time who the audience is and you can kind of visualize that, one of the great tips that I, I think are, is a great tip that I give is even if you even if you're leading part of a meeting with colleagues that is something that you kind of know, you know what that is about, mm -hmm. but you're you're anxious, you're nervous. And personally, I would rather deliver a workshop or a training to 300 people that I don't know than to go in a room with 10 other experts who know what I know. <laughs> sure. That sure. That is unnerving, right? Sure. Um, but if you can get to that space early and break that wall of like, I'm going to be up here and they're going to be out there, meet and greet, talk, have little conversations, pick the friendly faces in the room that you can look at when you're giving that presentation. I know that I'm going to look at Sally and she's going to smile back at me. I'm going to look at Bob and he's going to, you know, nod his head or whatever. But getting there early demystifying some of that unknown, feeling a little more comfortable in the space is a good, good strategy. That's awesome. And how would you contrast um, giving a talk for education? Here's, here's three key aspects of field X that I want you to know versus a talk for persuasion where you're challenging norms you're, mm. you're challenging paradigms. You're challenging fundamental belief systems. So you know that there's something counterintuitive that you want to get across. It's challenging to your audience. What's the difference between those to you and how would you coach differently in those situations? In persuasion, it is really about getting in the mind of the other people. It's about recognizing what are those challenges? What are their objections ahead of time? How can I speak to those? And how can I create something that we have common ground around mm -hmm. to really elevate, to, to move this ball forward in the direction that I want it to go in? So it, it's never good for somebody to know that they've got kind of a hostile audience and to go in and just preach their message, right? It's better to acknowledge the the hostility in the room, right? Like, what are the objections and how do you counter those or what evidence how you can acknowledge, but then kind of move move the, the attitudes a little bit. You know, it's always like, you're not gonna take an audience from, there's a scale of pro to con, right? Con over mm -hmm. here and pro over here on any issue. And you're never gonna move them from here to here, but you might move them to, there mm -hmm. right and so um in persuasion it is about understanding your audience speaking to their concerns giving them information that they view as credible from sources they view as credible and rationale that speaks to why it would be advantageous for them 
mm-hmm. to kind of move in your direction. So meet them where they're at before you take them somewhere new. And that reminds totally. me of a story totally. about the Beatles I heard. I don't know if it's true or not. Okay. But it's when the original drummer, I think his name was Peter Best, got kicked out in favor of Ringo Starr. And they're playing the club and the, the audience members are angry. And they started chanting, Peter, 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 like this. Yeah. So Ringo started pacing that with the drums. And then started playing a little louder, a little louder with the audience's chant. And brought it up to a crescendo and played this amazing drum solo, had the whole audience cheering. Nice. That that's a brilliant, brilliant kind of uh analogy. It makes that. a great story. I'm not sure if it's made up or not. I hope it's true. I don't know, great but it's story regardless. <laughs> it makes I'll use it. Point. I'll use it next time. Yeah. Yeah. So this has been awesome, Alexa. And uh, there's a couple of things we do at the end of these interviews. Okay. Uh, the first is of the two things is what are three things that you can recommend to our listener knowing these are entrepreneurs, thought leaders, influencers, people looking to get a message across generally through media on the internet that they can do right away to get better at what you do from your perspective. Mm-hmm. And the second part is how would someone get a hold of you if they want to find out about your services in executive coaching, leadership coaching, and such things. Okay. So if I were going to give people three resources, that would, and so what you're asking me is basically to elevate their own executive presence and become more of a credible source. Okay. Mm-hmm. The first one is the book Lead to Win by Carla A. Harris. It's on Amazon. Lead to Win. And also she reads her own book that you can get in Audible. And so I love listening to, I love listening to that. Um, her chapter two is about managing our managing your perceptions as a leader. So how do you come into a space and shift how people see you? How do you manage those perspectives? Um, and how do you kind of formulate those, those bonds? So first recommendation, lead to win. Second recommendation is a video on YouTube. So free to you. Joe Navarro, N-A-V-A-R-R-O. He's a former FBI agent and a body language expert. So we started talking about executive presence and kind of first impressions and body language. And he does a fantastic video. It's about 14 minutes long and it's his video on confidence. So you can search in Amazon, Joe Navarro, confidence, and you'll pop up that video. It's absolutely entertaining to watch, but there's so many aspects of that that you could take, take away. Um, Third, I would say that, hmm, I don't know if you've read Chris Voss's book, Never Split the Difference. I am familiar with it, but I've not read it. Okay. It's it's an easy read book as well, Mm -hmm. but it's really about influence and um, listening strategies, creating trust and rapport with people. Those are some of the the longer term executive presence characteristics that people note as being very important for leaders. And so his book, Chris Chris Voss, V-O-S-S, and his book is called Never Split the Difference. Once again, it's on Amazon. He's actually, he does a masterclass. If you have a masterclass uh, subscription and he's got some videos on YouTube as well. If people want to get in touch with me, I'm on LinkedIn, Alexa S as in Sam, Chilcut, PhD, 
And if they connect me and give me a direct message and ask me for it, I am happy to send them kind of a packet, just a, a PDF of how to craft effective messages and some tips for executive presence and overcoming anxiety. Fantastic. And for you, the listener, if you're listening on an app, click on the link in the episode description, go to the episode page on thoughtleadershipstudio.com where I will link to all of these resources and make it easy for you. Alexa, this has been a pleasure. I appreciate it, Chris. It's been a nice conversation. Fantastic. Thought Leadership Studio. Thanks again for listening to Thought Leadership Studio. I'm your host, Chris McNeil, and I hope you enjoyed this interview with Dr. Alexa Chilcutt, where we discussed topics such as communication is the defining skill, the art of executive presence, reflection, perception, and the journey to authentic leadership. Navigating the digital divide, crafting engaging content in a virtual world, and mastering virtual communication with strategies for engaging audiences remotely. So if you're listening on an app, make sure you click on the link in the episode description to go to the episode page on thoughtleadershipstudio.com where I am linking to Alexa's LinkedIn as well as various resources that she recommended. You can also get the Marketer's Guide to Strategic Thought Leadership Free. And that's your guide to arranging and organizing the building blocks of your own strategic thought leadership. Again, I'm your host, Chris McNeil, strategic thought leadership coach and consultant. Appreciate you listening and look forward to seeing you on the next episode of Thought Leadership Studio. Thought Leadership Studio.